Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Monday, December 11th. I'm Stephen Overly. You remember those children's stories about Spot the Dog? See Spot Run, See Spot Sit. What about See Spot Take Over the World? That's one of the stories being told today about Spot. Spot the Robotic Dog. It's a four-legged robot made by the company Boston Dynamics. And for the past four years, Robot Spot has been sold to industrial facilities and police departments. And Spot has garnered some controversy. The New York Police Department first started using the so-called DigiDogs back in 2020, then stopped amid a public outcry that the technology was dystopian and aggressive. Earlier this year, though, New York Mayor Eric Adams brought them back. Boston Dynamics CEO Robert Plater says much has changed in those few years, including fears about robot world domination that, from his perspective, have always been a Hollywood illusion. That the robot takeover is fantasy. It's fueled by fear, not by fact. And I don't want the robotics, what is really an ascent industry uh, in mobile robotics, to be you know, a casualty of fear and overregulation of AI. On the show today, Robert tells me what it's like to engage with his company's robots and why Boston Dynamics put rules in place to keep those doomsday fantasies from becoming a reality. So, Robert, Boston Dynamics has garnered, I think, a lot of attention, maybe the most attention for making a robotic dog. Tell me what Spot can do. The primary application that we're seeing a lot of interest from our customers is in industrial inspection. So the robot has uh, a configurable payload bay, and we can put various sensors on it. Usually it'll be cameras, uh, thermal cameras, acoustic sensors, um, and the robot can autonomously patrol a factory and basically check uh, on the health of the uh, factory equipment. And the goal is to keep the line operating and prevent unintended shutdown. It's being used in mostly process indus- industry factories. So, uh, and that includes utilities, uh, Florida Power and Light, for example, uh, oil and gas, uh, Chevron uh, is a customer. Um, Anheuser-Busch is using it to inspect their uh, beer production lines in Cartersville, Georgia. Uh, uh, Purina uh, just bought uh, several robots from us, again, using it to inspect in food production. Obviously, you're using Spot in your own workplace. You mentioned a bunch of other industries where it's been deployed. One of those is law enforcement. You know, I, I know, for instance, earlier this year, New York Police Department announced that Spot would be joining the force. Um, and I think that was, you know, they had tried this two years ago, and there was a lot of public pushback to it. Now they're they're doing it again. What's what's changed in that time? Well, um, a couple of things have changed in that time. Um, one thing is we're being really, you know, based on that uh, poor experience a couple of years ago with the NYPD, we began to more proactively really prepare um, our police uh, force customers, help convey to the communities that they are going to police exactly how that robot is going to be used to assure the public that the robot is used in beneficial ways. So, for example, 
the robot will not be weaponized. And in fact, we, uh, our customers agree not to weaponize the robot. Hmm. And that is a really a tool for uh, reassuring the, the public that this is really a, a robot to enhance safety. And so the way our police customers are using it typically is they might have a, a, a barricaded suspect or somebody, an armed person, maybe with a hostage, maybe not. They need to go see what's going on. And you don't really want an armed police officer to make that first contact. Because if you have an armed suspect, an armed officer, that is a very dangerous environment. And so by putting an unarmed robot as the first intermediary, you actually have a chance to diffuse and de-escalate a situation. And that's exactly how we're seeing. We have customers at uh, the LAPD, the Houston Police Department, St. Petersburg uh, Police Department, who have all had really positive experiences basically de-escalating dangerous situations using SPOT. And so you mentioned that uh, these law enforcement agencies have agreed not to weaponize you know, SPOT, which I, I assume you're saying literally like you use it to deploy any sort of ammunition. Is that is that right? Yeah, so we partly because of our experience uh, with the NYPD, we decided it was time to articulate a set of ethical principles governing the use of SPOT. And we incorporated those into our terms and conditions and our customers, including the police, uh, agree to that. And that includes not to weaponize the robot. And, and the real purpose of that is to assure uh, the public uh, and any of our users that the robot is going to be used safely. That is not there to harm them. We insist on that for the very simple reason that I don't think we will succeed as an industry, which, by the way, you know, we're, we're targeting these robots at civil applications, you know, like factories, like police force, where they're going to be interacting with the public and they need to be they need to feel safe and secure. Those ethical principles that you mentioned, can you walk me through what's included in those? Because I, I do think that you know, right now there are a lot of questions around AI and autonomous technology, how it's managed and how the risks are mitigated. And there's questions about what rules companies should impose on themselves with this technology, right? So, so what are your rules? So our rules are, are fairly simple. They are that you will not weaponize the robot. You will not use the robot to um, harm or threaten uh, a person or, or, an, or an animal. Um, and that you, we won't... Uh, we won't. We have to respect uh, privacy policies, laws, basically. And if folks don't follow those rules, what's the, you know, what's the ramifications? Does Spot get rehomed? <laughs> um, we won't support. We won't. We won't continue to sell to that customer. We won't support the robot. Is the is the recourse we have right now? And you've interacted with Spot probably more than anybody. Uh, certainly more than myself. You know, I've I've never encountered a robotic dog. I don't think. What is that actual experience like? Can you walk me through that and, and walk our listeners through that? You know, it's still interesting, and it never fails uh, to elicit a smile. Um, you know, right now we have Spot uh, walking through our building pretty much twenty four seven because. We have a fleet of about 10 robots that patrol the halls, um, doing really simulated missions. But the real purpose is so we can collect uh, reliability data. And so if I go downstairs to get a cup of coffee, I will likely pass a spot. And uh, it will, if, if it feels like I'm blocking its path, it will pause. It will detect that a person is coming and will pause in order to let the person pass. Um, if you get in its way, it will eventually try to go around you. If you have a whole group of people, it will simply wait until you leave, you know. 
but it just goes on about its business. Um, it's like a, a, a remote, remote control car. Basically, we use a, a joystick. You press forward and it goes forward. Uh, it can turn in place. Uh, so it's really just uh, telling the direction and heading and speed is about all you have to do. Even as it approaches stairs, it detects that the stairs are there because it has uh, sensors building a, a terrain map in its environment. It will detect that the stairs are there and they'll just begin walking up the stairs. You don't have to do anything special. Got it. Got it. You know, um, in my very first journalism internship, which is too long ago to even tell you, um, I wrote a story about a company that designed robots that pull fallen, fallen soldiers off of the battlefield. And they gave these robots the heads of teddy bears. Oh, um, I know I know what company you're talking about. You know, okay. Yeah, I believe it was called Vecna Technologies. I, I don't know if they're they're still around, candidly. The ro- but and the robot was called Bear. Yeah, the robot was <laughs> called Bear. Bearhead, yeah. Yeah, uh, the headline on my story was Battlefield Bears. Uh, I can remember it. But the point of this teddy bear head was to make this six-foot-tall robot less intimidating, you know, in theory. How do you make your robots less intimidating? Well, when we decided to build Spot, in particular, we picked a size. You know, many of our research project robots, the, the quadrupeds we had evolved our legged locomotion algorithms on, were a little bit bigger than Spot. We purposefully made Spot a little bit smaller so that it would not feel physically intimidating to be next to. And in fact, if Spot falls on you, it might step on your toe, um, but it's not going to fall on you and really harm you significantly, mm-hmm. whereas a bigger, heavier robot could do that. I, I think people need to know what a robot is doing. And you know the, the mystery of what a robot is doing is where some of the anxiety lives. So the better job you can do of indicating intent, uh, then you, I think, can assure people in the vicinity that the robot is you know, has a good mission or is doing something useful. And so we've begun to add both sort of lighting and acoustic uh, indicators to indicate whether or not the robot is, especially in a factory, Often lighting systems are required for safe operation. uh, operation. But I think there's a great opportunity to to carry this much further. As you add more degrees of freedom to a robot, maybe a head, maybe arms or something like that, you can start to do physical gestures and, and communicate via physical gesture what I'm doing. And I think that will go a long ways towards uh, letting people understand what's going on underneath. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. We've been talking a lot about Spot, obviously. I I did also want to ask you about Stretch. That's the other Boston Dynamics robot, which uh, moves boxes and is used uh, in in sort of warehouse and logistics applications. To me, sort of the first question I have about that really is these fears that AI-powered robots will displace human jobs. You know, are, are those fears legitimate? Well, let me describe what Stretch is doing, and then we can go to the jobs issue a little bit. Because uh, yeah. there's, there's clearly an overlap here. So Stretch is doing a job. Uh, the, really, the launching application is unloading boxes 
out of uh, shipping containers. And there's hundreds of millions of shipping containers sent, you know, floor to ceiling boxes every year. Usually those are manually loaded and unloaded. And this is a really tough job. Manually unloading these boxes that can be up to 50 pounds each is pretty tough work. And by the way, you have to do it in the summer and the winter. And in the summer, it can be 120 degrees inside that container. And in the winter, of course, it can be below freezing. So yes, uh, people are doing this job today and Stretch will be doing that job uh, tomorrow. But I also think the people who are doing that job today will be operating the robot tomorrow. In fact, uh, mm. you know, our, our launching customers, the people who operate the robot, and it does need to be operated. You know, you, you need to open the container, put down the dock plate. You know, maybe if there's any loose plastic or something in there, you got to pull it out. You, basically, a person has to launch the robot. It will occasionally need help. It'll ask for help if, the, if a box dumps its contents out. It still needs to be managed by people. And so I think there's a great opportunity here to turn the people who used to unload the containers actually into robot operators. What we found is that those people, certainly they have the skills to do that job. They're excited to do, to do that job. And our customers feel like they're going to do a better job of retaining and attracting talent because they get, they get to work with this stuff. So how, how hard is it to make that switch? I mean, is it hard to learn how to operate? A stretch or a spot? No. no, I mean, we typically can train somebody how to do it in, you know, a few hours, so. Okay, interesting. So you, you sort of see a future then where it's humans and robots working side by side. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think these are, these are like power tools. You know, years ago, you wouldn't have imagined, um, you know, plowing your whole field by hand and then we built tractors. Someday in the future, you're going to say, I can't believe you used to unload those containers by hand, you know, so. You spoke with members of the Senate last week, and one of the comments you made I thought was interesting was, you know, for every sort of Terminator, there is a C-3PO, right? Meaning for every sort of scary, uh, bad robot, there is a, a good, friendly robot. How often do you have to sort of explain this technology in terms of like Hollywood sci-fi fantasy? It's, it's usually the first slide in any uh, talk I give, depending on the audience. I, I try to tackle the, the fear versus uh, fascination right out of the gate. Um, and it is the case that a lot of people have a little bit of a bias that I think is con conditioned from, from Hollywood. And to some degree, uh, the AI doomsday stories are potentially exacerbating that situation. So, you know, in some ways, robotics become the flesh and blood uh, version of, of their worst fears about AI doomsday stories. And, and I think that it would be a real problem. And so I find myself wanting to remind people that, you know, as soon as everybody gets over the initial reaction that, oh, those must be the killer robots, they're actually fascinated by them. And they realize, oh, they're not actually all that smart either. You know, they're just a machine. Mm. And then I think everybody's comfort about uh, working with a robot goes way up. And it's not to say that there's not some real concerns around AI, but I do not think, and part of my goal at this uh, AI forum was to remind people that the robot takeover is fantasy. It's fueled by fear, not by fact. And I don't want the robotics, what is really an ascent industry uh, in mobile robotics, to be you know, a casualty of fear and overregulation of AI. Is that what you see happening now with the, I mean, the doomsday talk and, and these conversations about what the AI future will look like? 
I was really pleased at this AI forum that the questions from the senators um, were, were pretty sober and realistic. Nobody really uh, asked me when the robot takeover was happening. I think they all realized that that's uh, a facetious kind of question. So, um, and I, you know, their questions were more about the realistic uh, concerns over disinformation and maybe using these powerful tools to design weapons or something like that. So I don't, uh, I don't think that that's uh, a real concern, but I do feel like part of our job is, is to continue to remind people about this very positive contribution. You know, AI is really going to accelerate the advent of robotics because a robot will be able to understand something about its surrounding. It'll recognize objects in its environment, not only to avoid bumping into them, but to start doing reasonable tasks for them. It'll recognize a door as a door and it can open the door hmm. and recognize a, a, a table, you know, is, is not to be turned over, that sort of thing. And um, it, it'll really uh, have an acceleration and it'll make these tools just much more useful. And how do you convince the public that we are going to have more C-3PO's than Terminators? Because like I hear your point that you know, your company has these ethical principles. But on the on the one hand, you know, uh, respectfully, we have to trust you to actually enforce those and live up to them, right? And then on the other hand, there, there will be companies that don't have those same rules who are also making technology that, you know, may have issues when it comes to privacy, surveillance, you know, bias, you name it. So how do you how do you prove that trust? Well, part of it is, and this is really why we got involved in establishing regulation. So we've been working with uh, some local legislators uh, here in the state of Massachusetts to uh, draft bills. And we have two draft bills, one in the House of Representatives and one in the Senate at the state level, uh, to build a framework uh, around the safe use of autonomous robots. And so, uh, and the, re the reason we did that was to try to build um, that level of trust uh, that it's not just we're not just going to hold ourselves to that. We actually think there needs to be a state or even federal level regulation uh, right. governing these things. And and then hopefully that will help, uh, you know, the public trust us because we're actually you know, leading um, in this direction. Is there a sort of top line policy that you think Congress, for instance, or state governments should you know put in place right now to address that? Well, I do think that so this this bill is really about the uh, preventing weaponization of robots used for civilian applications. And uh, while I was um, on Capitol Hill, we went around and, and spoke to some of our uh, some of our congressional members, uh, let them know we were doing this. They all generally support this idea. In fact, this this seems like the the obvious first step that I don't think is going to. Uh, meet with uh, much resistance. Um, so I, I think it will be supportive. It, 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 we just need to follow through and, and get it done. Now, doing it state by state is uh, a lot of work. I don't, you know, are we really going to get something going at the federal level? That's, that's a larger question. Got it. Well, Robert, listen, fascinating to uh, talk with you all about robots. You'll have to come back and uh, talk to us uh, some more in the future. But thank you for being here. Thanks, Stephen. It, it was uh, enjoyable. Okay, so I thought the interview was done. But as Robert and I were wrapping things up, he had a comment on one of our recent episodes. 
He's a listener and took issue with recent polling from the AI Policy Institute about public attitudes toward AI, which I thought was interesting. Here's what he told me. All right, great. Hey, a little, a little feed. Listen to a couple of your uh, podcasts. You talked to the person who um, basically reported some alarming statistics, you know, from, from my year about um, 70 or 80 percent of the public is worried about AI and uh, wants to get behind, you know, regulation to prevent superhuman capabilities. And I thought, I think there's a, there's something about that, the way that question was framed. My, my first thought was, look, we build superhuman capabilities all the time. Uh, we have computers that multiply a lot faster than you or I can multiply. Um, we shouldn't be afraid of superhuman capabilities. Um, they'll be really beneficial. The problem is if you have, I think there's an expectation that if you build a superhuman capability in a, in a robot or a machine, does that mean they're better in every dimension than a human? Hmm. And I think that world is far away. You know, what we're, what we're developing are pretty narrow advancements, narrow in AI, narrow in robotic capabilities. And, and yes, my robot can do a backflip today, but that doesn't mean my robot could ever tie its shoes, for example. Hmm. So let's not extrapolate from one kind of capability to everything. And that's where I think a question like uh, your, your, your previous guest, that runs awry, you know? Because <laughs> I, I think people do want machines that, that have super capabilities. If you disagree with any takes our guests have given, let me know. I want to hear about it. I mean, these are divisive issues, and that's what makes them fun. You can reach me at soverly at politico.com. And with that, that's today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.